Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? It's the Crossover Pod Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Very excited about today's pod, today's guest. I know I say that a lot, sometimes more emphatically than others. I'm very emphatic today. My guest today is an all-time NBA great and an all-time NBA great guy. In fact, the NBA's Sportsmanship Award is named for him. He is, of course, Joe Dumars, and he's got a new gig. Joe D recently named the league's new executive vice president and head of basketball operations. That means, among other things, he's the new discipline czar. All the suspensions, fines, warnings, flagrant foul upgrades, public shaming, whatever it may be, you're going to see Joe Dumars' name on all those press releases. That's a big part of his purview now. Um, of course, Joe spent the last few years as a consultant for the Kings and before that, the Pelicans. But he was one of the NBA's best team executives for over a decade, running the Pistons from 2000 to 2014, executive of the year in 2003, championship in 2004. We had a lot of fun discussing some of the highs and lows of that tenure. Yes, that includes Darko Milicic. Yes, the Rashid Wallace trade. And yes, uh, as some of you may know, but it's one of those wrinkles that's gone by with uh, not a lot of coverage, but there was a Kobe Bryant trade that almost, almost happened. Kobe Bryant could have been a piston back in 2007, so we discuss that story, which was fascinating. And I couldn't let the moment pass without asking also about the famous, infamous photo of Joe Dumars with phones pressed to both ears. You may have seen that appear uh, on occasion on Twitter. We get the backstory. It's fun. Uh, We also briefly touched on Bill Russell, who, like Dumars, is originally from Louisiana and one of Dumars' heroes growing up. Um, Nice to see the NBA announce that Bill Russell's number six will be retired league-wide. 
Before we get to all that, quick reminder, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts, and hit me with all your feedback on Twitter, at Howard Beck. Okay, my conversation with Joe Dumars is coming up next, so stick around. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Now, very pleased to be joined by the new executive vice president and head of basketball ops. There's a comma in there somewhere. I'm not sure, I'm never sure how these titles work. Joe Dumars. Joe, how are you, sir? I'm great. I don't know how these commas work either. So, Now, at NBA titles, uh, they get more complicated, I think, uh, by every year. Uh, congrats. Welcome to the new role. We're sitting here in uh, NBA headquarters, so your new home in, in New York. How are you, uh, you acclimating to, uh, to big city life here? I, I, I actually love it so far. I've been uh, here for about four months now and um, got a nice place on the Upper West Side. And it's been great so far. The only thing I wasn't prepared for was um, when I left school in Louisiana, I thought I'm probably never going to live in humidity again. No one told me how humid New York is in the summer, man. It's, it's gross. Yeah. Uh, Tim Frank, NBA ace PR yes. person sitting to your left here. Uh, we, we, did, we had like an entire 20-minute uh, conversation kvetching about the, uh, the humidity before you came Tim in. did not tell me that before. They should have warned he you. Wait, no, he waited until after I, I signed on, then he told me. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's quite at Louisiana levels. Like, no, I've no, spent some not. time in New Orleans it's in the not. summer. That's, no, it's not. But, no, it, it's not. but it ain't pleasant. No, no. I don't, I don't understand how businessmen or anybody else are walking around in full suits out yes, there. I'm yes. like in a short sleeve shirt and usually yeah. just short. I, it's, I get just yeah. sweaty just looking at yeah. other no, people in, in too much clothes. Um, so you're settling in. Uh, we are recording this. It's just been a, a week or so since uh, Bill Russell's passing. There's a lot of stuff I want to get to, but I, I do want to start there because uh, obviously a, a, a titan of, of the game and of this league, but also... You guys, I, I know you have, didn't really cross paths, but you do have common roots in, in Louisiana. Yeah, you know, growing up as a young basketball player in Louisiana during my time, during my era, um, you had some greats to look up to, none bigger than Bill Russell. Um, he's a native Louisiana guy, and so you grew up hearing about Russell being this Louisiana guy that ended up moving out to San Francisco, but he was one of the guys, Willis Reed, Elvin Hayes, Pete Maravich, you know, you you ended up hearing, although Pete wasn't originally from Louisiana, but you hear you heard about all these legends, but none were bigger than Bill Russell. Like he was the he was the standard for everybody growing up there. Never got a chance to to cross paths during your time. Yeah, as a just hellos, but not not really into any deep deep conversations. But just from afar, just incredible respect for. Not only what he did on the court, but what he stood for off the court, and uh, just reading some of the, the the history of the things that he stood for and went through <clears throat> and accomplished, you know, on the court, you know, the greatest team champion ever. Um, I, I I just think it's incredible what 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 Russell stood for. Yeah, um, your new role as executive vice president, comma head of basketball ops. Got to, I got to talk to you, to, to your people, Tim Frank, about these about these titles. Um, 
we, we always think about this as like the disciplines are, right? Like your name is now going to be on every press release of somebody being suspended, fined, uh, publicly shamed, what, whatever the, the order of the day might be. It's a, I know it's a little bit bigger of a role than that. You're involved with uh, rules changes in the competition committee. And uh, you and I chatted a little bit in, in Vegas right after they had approved the uh, new rule about the take foul. So there's a lot that it encompasses. But people will see your name most commonly with the discipline stuff. And this is the, the role most recently, Kiki Vandaway, Rod Thorne before him, Stu Jackson. It is usually somebody who comes from the player uh, ranks or coaching ranks. So what do you feel like you're, you're, you want to bring to this that you know, might be similar or different to, to those who, who preceded you in this? How do you see the role aside from what I will just simply refer to as the discipline czar? <laughs> so first of all, um, those three guys that you name, uh, you know, Kiki and Rod and um, uh, Stu, uh, all did a great job, and I, I respected them in this particular role. But you don't really know the role until you get here, and the public part of the role is the discipline. That's the that's the public part. But you're right, Howard. You know, the the other stuff is uh, takes up probably more of your time than the discipline part. But the discipline part is the part that gets the most, you know, attention. And I get it. I understand why. But it's a, it's a job that encompasses uh, a lot of different areas. And I think um, being a former player and a former front office exec, it helps informs your decision making. And when you get into a role like this, uh, to help you better understand the issues. And I think that's why this role has always had people who have been on the other side. I think it's imperative that you understand both sides of this. I don't think it would be good um, if you couldn't truly understand when things come across your plate um, from a player perspective, from, and I never coach, but from a coaching perspective, front office perspective, I just think it's really important to have that perspective when you sit in the seat. It's, it's gonna take a, big, a bit of your time as well when those you know, events arise, right? Sure, sure. A fight, not that anybody, nobody fights in the NBA anymore, but you know, there'll be one of those little fake scuffles yeah. or something. <laughs> um, somebody steps out in some other way, flagrant fouls that you guys have to review and, uh, and, and all this. Um, do you go into it with a, a thought in mind about just a, a kind of a governing philosophy, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you're, you're the head of discipline, you know, among, again, among other things. Um, and I think everybody has, you know, maybe we think of the, the way Rod Thorne, that era as a certain way, we think of Kiki a certain way. Do you, do you think you bring a different sensibility to it? Perhaps do you come in thinking, you know what, maybe we need to tighten up a little bit here or there. I mean, you're obviously, you've been involved continuously with the league for, you know, you know what's well, been three decades or so. Like, do you come in with a, a different sense or your own sense of how, the, how to, to approach that? So, uh, it's a great question, but I, I haven't thought about a, a particular style to do to do this job, but I do say, and I've said internally here that uh, I won't simply read the rules to people when they call in. I'll have a conversation with them, with context. Um, you know, I, 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 I played on a few teams where they might have had a few bumps and bruises and, and, and suspensions and fines, and so, so it, it, there's not a conversation that can come up, Howard, <laughs> that I haven't had before. So I, that's why I intend to have conversations with people. And at the end of the day, I just say this. Uh, you, you may not like 
the final decision, but at least you'll understand how we got there. I'll, I'll walk you through how we got there. And you can disagree with it, but I just want to be able to have conversations with people uh, and make sure that they understand, like, look, here's the perspective. Here's why we landed here. Uh, here's what you did, you know. And so I just think I'm in a position to have, like, really honest conversations with, with, with whoever it is. I would love to hear those conversations, not that I will ever have that opportunity, because I can just imagine at some point in there, on the one hand, uh, you're the perfect person to be heading up, up discipline as a former Pistons bad boy. On the other hand, you were a Pistons bad boy. <laughs> so it's somewhere along the lines of those conversations going to be, come on, man, what, if, what would you have done? Or look what you did. Or they're, they're going to be pulling up your clips or something and saying, hey, come on, look, look what you got away with. Um, what's the movie? Uh, Catch Me If You Can? Yeah. There was a guy who was doing the, um, he was doing the, uh, uh, the fake checks and all. And once he got busted, <laughs> they ended up hiring him. The head of the department. So I said, who better than a pissing bad boy to be in a position like this? No, seriously, though, I've been there, done that, seen it, uh, have seen it from the other side. I, I do really feel like I can have any conversation with anybody that, that has an issue about whatever they're going to call in about. Because I, 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 I don't want to say I've seen everything, but, man, I've seen an awful lot. And I don't think there's anything that's going to come across that's – I don't expect it's going to surprise me. Maybe it will, but but I'm just saying, like, I've just seen so much stuff. So whatever phone calls come in, I, I believe I'll be able to handle whatever the calls are. NBA, obviously, a, a much different game, different league than it was during your playing days. Even actually during your, your Pistons years as, as, as head of basketball ops for the Pistons, um, it's different even from then. And that's, that was 2014 was your last year there, right? So... Um, and one of the things that's changed with it, of course, is we've evolved from or, or moved from the David Stern era to the Adam Silver era. There is less that happens on the court that I think needs the heavy discipline, right? There's not, doesn't really fight in this league anymore. Um, but at the same time, there has been kind of this common thread or sense around the league, like it's got a little softer in the Adam Silver era, like the suspension that, that might have been like five days in the David Stern era is now like two. And like some of that, do, have you sense that yourself in this time do you think that there needs to be any kind of course correction there and that's the other thing too people attribute it to oh adam silver kinder gentler david stern you know the 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 uh, the disciplinarian type um but the role and the job is rod thorne Stu jackson kiki joe dumars so how much of that and maybe you can clarify this for folks too then is it about the commissioner's overall philosophy in a particular era or is it about the person sitting in your seat so, I, so I, I do think, to your point, though, the game has changed, too. I, I don't think there's a call for as much hard discipline, to your point, about the game being a little bit more finesse now. So it, that really doesn't call for the, the hardline disciplinarian. But I will say this, and, and I've said this to some current players now, every era – has its style, has its stamp. Every era, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, early 2000s, every era is going to have its style. And so I don't think it's specifically Adam Silver. I just think it's the NBA right now. I think there's a lot less, as you and I know, there's no, you know, we haven't had any, you know, piston-type brawls or anything like that. And so to have a heavy hand on things that are not the same as they were would be disproportionate. In my opinion, I think it would be disproportionate. If you ever got back to that, 
I, I think you would see, you know, some hard discipline actions coming down. So I just think it's the era right now that we're in. Yeah, fair. Um, occasionally something happens. Occasionally. And, occasionally and, and, and I'll often note that, like, oh, yeah, I think that might have been three games under David. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's always going to be a comparison. Like, you know, David was a, a giant, a legend, and, you know, made his mark on this game incredibly. So there's always going to be a comparison. If you follow a great player, if you follow a great coach, a great GM, a great commissioner, there's always going to be a comparison to the guy that, was, that held it before. Everybody who works in the league is going to uh, say this, I think, mostly because it's true, but it's also, you know, company line. The game's in a great place, and obviously it's very entertaining right now and everything else. I don't think too many people, especially younger fans who have grown up on this brand of basketball, would say that they miss grinded out 90s guys beating the shit out of each other in the paint stuff. Like, but... That was your era, and everybody, you know, we're all captives of our own era, whether as players or fans, media. Um, do you miss it a little bit when you watch the game today? Do you, do you ever have that impulse of like, eh, that guy, that guy needed an elbow to the rib? Yeah, I, I, I've seen some, some plays that, that, that probably needed a little bit more physicality to it, but I'll go back to this, and I, I was having this conversation with Draymond Green, and I, he and I were talking, and I said – we, we were talking about how people always um, compare to different eras, right? And, and I said to him, I said, listen, it's, it's up to the players of that generation to determine how people are going to look at their era. I said, in our era, it was a tough physical um, era, and you had to fight your way through that. And that's how we decided – in that era that it was going to be. You guys have decided it's going to be a wide-open, three-point shooting era. Every generation gets to choose how they want their era to be. They, they really do. They get to choose how they want it to be. So I don't even look at it now. I really don't. He and I had this conversation, and I said, I said, I, and I told him, I said, I don't even look at the game now and go, oh, man, they should be playing like we did. I, I don't even look at it like that. I look at it and go, this is, this is how their era is going to be defined because this is the style that they want to play. Who knows 10 years from now, 15 years from now, how, how the game is going to look. It may look totally different than it looks right now. And so I just I, – I really believe that. I believe every generation, they get to dictate what that era is going to be like. Ours was what it was. It was like, okay, you know <laughs> – well, and Draymond's a Michigan guy, grew up, I'm sure, idolizing your teams. Was he, was, did the conversation, was it about the fact, was he also romanticizing that era and that style of play? Was he saying he wanted a little bit more of that? I, I mean, I could, I could see him going either way because he's a product of this era and has thrived in this era, but at the same time, Draymond is Draymond, so. Yeah, well. By the way, I suspect this will not be the last conversation the two of you have. Well, it was about a disciplinary <laughs> issue that I was talking to him about, so let's make that clear. But, no, he grew up at my house. And so he and a, and a bunch of kids, uh, football, NFL guys and NBA guys, grew up with my son at my house. So I've been knowing him since uh, 12, 13 years old. And so he's a kid that stayed at my house growing up. So we can have – we can have some real honest conversations. And so we were just talking about the eras and, and you know, because he does a lot of that stuff on his podcast about comparing the eras. And, we, and he said, what do you think about that? And I just told him, like, look, this is y'all's era. Like, you don't have to play like we did in the 80s and 90s. You, you, it, 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 you guys get to dictate. And he, and he hadn't thought about it like he said, you're right. I said, yeah, this is your era. Like, 
I don't get to tell you guys how to play. And the guys from the 70s or whatever, they didn't get to tell us how to play. I said, so I'm not trying to tell you how to play. I'll just, I'll just look at it and enjoy it. And, 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 and I said to him and go, yeah, that should have been a little bit more physical right there. But you still get to choose it, man. Those are going to be some interesting phone conversations in the future, uh, then, because I yeah. know those are going to happen. Yeah. The fact that yeah. you guys have known each other since you yeah. know way back when is going to it adds adds a whole other dimension. Yes, he he know, he knows me though. I, I I've dealt discipline with him before <laughs> before either one of us were in our roles right now, so he he understands. Uh, now now I'm curious. What's the first thing you ever had to discipline Draymond Green for uh, when he was 12 man. years old? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that may be too deep in the yeah, archives I, there. <laughs> Uh, Draymond will tell us himself yeah, on his yeah. on his next yeah, he podcast. Yeah, he won't hold it back for sure. The Nikki Glazer podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer podcast. I said, "Tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting." Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer podcast on America's number. One podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics. Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the last several years been like for you? Like, so your, your Pistons tenure goes from 2000 to 2014, and it's almost like two completely separate eras there. Um, and then since that time, you consulted for the Pelicans. I don't know if that was ever official. You were, yeah. like, secretly consulting yeah. for the yeah. Pelicans, yeah. right? Like yeah, I just know those guys out there for a long time. Mickey yeah. Loomis. And I was really close to the football side with, with Sean Payton and those guys. I spent a lot of time. I would, I, actually, I spent, like, two or three um, drafts with them in their, in their war room during the draft, on NFL draft night with them. And so I'm, I'm really close to those guys. So it was more – Saints, we were talking about the Pelicans, actually. Yeah, because that yeah. one doesn't even end up on like your the press yeah, release. Yeah, like, yeah, no. You know, Drew Newmore yeah. spending a few years yeah, with the Kings, and like the Pelicans yeah, aren't yeah. even there. Yeah. That was like yeah. the the secret behind the scenes. Is an NFL draft room? Is it is it like an NBA war room on draft night too? Is it similar? Or is it, it a whole it's different? It's similar, vibe? but it's 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 how it is. Um, where in an NBA draft room, you may have 10, 15 people. In an NFL draft room, you might have sixty or seventy people in there. Because the scouts from all over the regions are in there. And so they have this, it's, the way it's set up is, at least in New Orleans, is they have these rows. And these rows go up about five rows, and it's just scouts and personnel people there. Like, like, and, like, a, like a lecture hall you're yeah, describing, yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, and down at the bottom is, you know, it, ironically, it would be like me and Mickey and, and Sean Payton and um, – Maybe Dennis Allen, who's the head coach now, was the D coordinator at that time, and 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 they're discussing like like what's happened, and they're going back to the to the scouts and asking, what about this kid in the fourth round from Appalachian State, whatever. And so there's 70 guys in the room, and you might actually they might actually call on them in the midst of because yeah, my, my first thought is you can't po- why are they all there? They can't yeah. possibly all have input. Because but- there's so many players, yeah. it's so so many players. You better have enough people in that room to cover all of that. That's fascinating. So yeah, it, it was it is fascinating. It is fascinating. It was, it was great. I, I really enjoyed that, you know. You pick up anything along the way where you're filing it away, like uh, this would be good, you know, in terms of best practices that could apply back to the NBA. And, and I'm sure they as an organization with the, the ownership having uh, overseeing both probably, I, I would imagine, tried to do that. Anything that popped out? Just the amount of background that yeah. they do. And, and, and look, it's so many, what, it's 100 football players in college, you know, on, on the college roster. And the NFL is 60 or whatever. So the rosters are so much bigger. So the pool of players they're choosing from are so much bigger than what we choose from. And so just the amount of work that goes in to knowing thousands of players from around the country, it's, it's fascinating to see. I think their background work is, is, is pretty incredible because, you know, they, they're telling me what the guy, you know, how many snaps he took in his senior year in high school, especially if he's a running back. You know, you start you start tracking those those snaps, how many hits he's taken, you know, and so uh, it's just that you know it's different, but it's uh, it was fascinating. It was, it was just fascinating. So from there, you end up spending the last uh, three years with the Sacramento Kings as uh, chief strategy officer, mm-hmm. um, and obviously that's a team that's yeah. you know been try, trying yeah. to find its way yeah. a, 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 for for a bit here. Um, what were the from the New Orleans to Sacramento experiences? Just kind of being as opposed to the day-to-day with everything on you, but just being able to kind of give your input, like what, what, was, what were those years about for you? Yeah, so the, the Sacramento part was, <clears throat> quite simply, it, was a, it, it allowed me to um, dive back 
into the league without having to make the day-to-day because I didn't want to do the day-to-day. I, I, did, I just didn't want to do the day-to-day. And it gave me the opportunity to, 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 Howard, to really know all of the new coaches, all of the new players, all of the new young GMs, uh, and really be able to get a real grasp on the league, to know the league front and back. Because when you're doing it day-to-day, you know that. You know that automatically because you have to. In that particular role, it allowed me to do it without having to make all the day-to-day decisions, and I absolutely loved it. I, I really enjoyed uh, my time in Sacramento. I really enjoyed because it allowed me to to help uh, Vivek and Monty, uh, Monty McNair, Wes Wilcox. You know, they would lean on me a lot. What do you think? What would you do here? How would you handle this? Like, it was great. It was all the stuff I, I could do easily for them. But also, I was studying all the players and all the coaches and what teams were doing and new trends. And so it, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, because I guess in, in, the, in the intervening years, you know, from yeah. the time you left the Pistons to yeah. you're probably not as plugged in. Even, even during the yeah. time you're, you're consulting with the Pelicans or whatever that, that role yeah. was, it's, you're not in the weeds in the same Yeah, you're regard. not in the weeds. Yeah. And, and you're casually, and you're casually um, um, tracking this stuff. You're not, you're not on it every day. You're, you're, you're definitely not in the weeds. My son played over in Germany. I was in Germany for, for some time with him, hanging out with him because he was playing professionally over there. And so I wasn't as connected to the league. So once I went to Sacramento, I was like, man, this is great because I've been, like, I don't want to say completely disconnected, but away from this game for, like, two or three years. And so it was, it, it, I really enjoyed it. And, and, you know, the transition from that to this makes it that much easier. As I think about it, you know, if I would have gone from uh, hanging out in Germany and hanging out in New Orleans to this and not been on top of it, that, that, that would have been a little bit more difficult. Take a lot more time to get up to yeah, speed absolutely. again, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you said something interesting there, that you didn't want to do that, you know, team president or GM type job again. When did you know that? Because... At the time that it always sounds like so harsh to say when somebody fired you, um, <laughs> I actually you, didn't get fired. You get fired. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. When you parted ways. Yeah. What was? I don't even remember. Yeah. How did, was it described? So at the my time? contract was about to end, and I actually went to Tom Gores and said, "When the season's up, I'm done." It's time. Yeah, I'm done. And the reason I said that to answer your question is, I'd spent 14 years on the court, and then I went directly to the front office. So I spent 30 straight years in the, in, in the pit, like as a player and then running the team. And it was 30 straight years of it. And so I don't care who you are, 30 straight years of anything, you, you, you know it, I want to do something different. I, I, I've done this. I've been there, done this. Did it at the highest level as a player, at the highest level as team president. I, I, I'd like to be involved, but I don't want to do that anymore. I've done enough of that. And that was the reason. That's, and that's why I said that. Were you sure then at 24, in, in 2014, as you tell Tom Gores, it's time for me to, to, to step away, um, did, did you think I need a little bit of a break and then I, I'm going to want another GM job? Or did you, did you know even at that time, did, were you already sure that this was the last time you would do that? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I needed a break. But I didn't know. But two or three years, <clears throat> excuse me, two or three years later, I realized I, I, I can't go back to, this, to, to being a GM again. I just, 
it wasn't what appealed to me at that time. And I knew at that moment, I, uh, I'm not really looking to do the day-to-day. Yeah. Uh, and, and I realized then, too, that if I was to ever go back to a team, I would need a GM. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? I could go back as president, but president – because in Detroit, I was president and GM. I, I remember thinking, yeah, if I ever did this again, there would have to be a GM doing a lot of the day-to-day because I just I, – I, I did it for 15 years. I did it long enough. I remember wondering at the time, or at least the first few years after you had parted ways with the Pistons, about – when you would get back in. I thought for sure you'd be back in. And I'll, I'll just like, for, for uh, younger listeners especially, I'll go over it real quick here. But it was like you had two different eras with the Pistons. So uh, 2000, you joined the team. You guys jumped from 32 wins to 50 by your second season. You guys averaged 55 wins from 2001-2 to 07-08. 55 wins a season, including 64 wins in 2005-06, six straight Eastern Conference Finals, two finals, and of course, championship in 2004. And then there's the back half uh, from 2008-9 to 2013-14. After that finals team kind of starts to come undone, as happens in this league. You guys average 30 wins, only one playoff appearance, first round loss. And I wondered, like, the way you frame it now, Joe, it, it sounds like, you know, maybe a lot of that also just, as you point out, 30 straight years, it can just weigh on you. You can just get, get a little worn out. I also wondered if the back half just weighed on you, right? Like, having to preside over a team that gone to six straight Eastern Conference finals, wins a championship, two finals, trying to, to, to reinvent that on the, the fly. And you guys had, you know, you took some swings yeah. and had yeah. some misses. And yeah. it, how much of it was just about, man, like this, it's, it, it, it's hard enough to put together a team to win at the highest level. Trying to do it a second time yeah. in the same place. Was, did, did that weigh on you? Was it just the strain of it all? I, I don't look at it like it weighed on me as a strain, but I realized it. I was really conscious of it that we're trying to do this again on the fly because we didn't – after we had this incredible run, there was not this announcement that, okay, we're going to tear it down and rebuild. It was how can we keep winning? And so you, you're trying to – I often say this to people. I, I, I say – it's trying to change the tires on the car while you're driving, right? Like, it's not like you get to stop, you know, like we got to stop and change those tires. It's like, we're going to keep rolling. You got to change them on the fly. And that's, that's how I looked at it. But it didn't really weigh on me. I think the, that part, I wouldn't say weighed on me by itself. It was the accumulation of 30 straight years of 14 on the court and it's actually 15 or 16 in the front office it, it, you know after 30 years it was just like okay I, I I've I, I've carried this flag enough you know yeah um and there were some again some big swings in there there yeah, was Iverson yeah. Billups swap yeah, yeah. and you're trying to swing you're trying to change the tires yeah. yeah and 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 I always say this I I always tell people this man own whatever it is good or bad so I, I like the, the swings and misses. I, I'm telling you how it, the, the media guys in Detroit would tell you. I would do like this. They were like, "What happened?" I was like, uh, "I messed up. I, I I missed on that." Like I would literally raise my hand. Like, "Yep, that, that's that's on me." Like, uh, uh, "Okay." Like you know, you just I think you own it. You own like we had tremendous success, but we had some misses too, and I own all of it. Like, you know, and, and I think 
for me, that I think in a leadership position, that's what you do. Every listener right now is, is, has Darko Milicic in, their, in that thought bubble it's above their head. Yeah, it's a miss. <laughs> Yeah. It's a flat-out miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that the one, if, of all the moves you make over a, over 14 years, is that the one that you want back most? Well, it is. It is. Um, am I allowed to say we won a title that year? You were allowed to say you won a title, absolutely, and went am back to the finals to, yeah, the next say, year okay. and, and could have won if Rashid had it, actually stuck to Robert right, Ory. But, you know. Yeah, but... But if I'm allowed to say that, then absolutely, we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's um, – no, really, I, I, I own all of it. Like, we, we as, a, as a staff, and, and then I got to make the final decision on this, we, we go, look, we, with this big, young, talented kid, I think he can help us. We have perimeter guys. We got Chauncey Reputation. We got this already. We need another big with Ben Wallace. We didn't have Rasheed Wallace at the time. We hadn't traded for him yet. So we went with him. Didn't work out. So I go to the press conference in Detroit, and Mitch Album and all the other guys ask what happened, and I go, "It's my fault. We missed on it." Like I, I don't, I don't try to make excuses for it. I don't try to like avoid it. Like I, I and when people do that, I often, you know, I look at people when they're doing that. I just kind of shake my head, like just own it, like. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny, too, because we, like, you know, we lionize certain people in this league about you know, their track records or whatever. But like, I covered Jerry West early in my career when I was covering the Lakers. Like, Jerry West had some pretty colossal misses along the way, too. And Jerry's one of the greatest to ever freaking do the yeah. job. Yeah. And he's great. And I don't mean to point those things out to like, yeah. you know, be nitpicky, but like, the best to ever do it. Howard, everybody has. Yeah. Everybody has had big misses. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, and like I said, I, I, that's why I, I go... Yeah, 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 yeah. We and, missed, and, and we won the championship that year. Oh yeah, yeah, we did win. We <laughs> there did was, win. Yeah. There was that. Is the Rashid trade uh, your best move, or the one that you you uh, you know all these years later? It was that the most feel? significant move because he he actually got us over the top. Yeah, I don't think we get over the top without him. I think we're good. We're conference finals level, but you need something to get you over the top, and and he was the guy to do that. And so, it was the most significant move. I mean, anytime you make a move in the middle of the season and that gets you over the top to win the championship, that has to be your most significant Which move. almost never happens, too, by right, the way. Right. Um, right it's right. very rare that the in-season trade is the one that, that yeah. leads a team to a championship. Maybe, yeah. maybe the next year or two years, yeah. but like... Um, and you and and that team was fascinating anyway because it is we always talk about it as until Ben Wallace made the Hall of Fame this year, sure. it was always the yeah. the lone championship team right. in the modern era that won without any Hall of Famers. Right, right, right. That particular distinction is gone, but it's still like that was a that was an ensemble, yeah. right? Like that yeah. was a, a sum of their parts team. So I, I do think that you have to be willing to take swings, and I do think that you have to be comfortable with being an outlier, and I, I was always comfortable with that. I was comfortable with taking swings, and I was comfortable with being an outlier in the sense that we weren't trying to build a roster like everyone else. We were trying to build a completely different type of roster than everyone else, and it happened to work out great for us. And we, we won a title, and we, you know, we had great success with it. Um, should Chauncey be next, Hall of Fame? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at his track record and what he did during that, that time period and being a finals MVP, and he was, he was, he was a catalyst for us during that time. I, and I think he will. I think he'll. I think he'll ultimately get in. Yeah, being finals MVP and being part of a bunch of great teams and the, yeah. the career that he. I mean, he doesn't have the the, the prototypical yeah. outline. Yeah. So it's a tough case, but it, the, yeah. there, 
I mean, I, I, I should have looked it up. I can't remember how many finals MVPs have not made the Hall of Fame. I think he might be one of two or something. Maybe he's still, maybe now he's the only one. Um, and so there's, there's that part of it. But it, it's a, it was a hard team to quantify, right? Like you guys came out, no one thought you guys were making the finals that year, much less knocking off the Lakers with, you know, four stars, four Hall of Famers on it. Um, but also because it wasn't about any one guy. It was about Chauncey and Rip and Tayshawn and the Wallaces. Um, I always thought, too, and, and you know, I don't know how you feel about this. This is not to diminish Ben Wallace, but Ben becomes this defensive dynamo. But I always thought that, but he, obviously he was undersized. That was part of the mystique, right? Rashid had all the size and length, and Rashid could guard everybody everywhere. I always thought like he was, in, in a way, the linchpin. Like Ben Wallace gets all the glory there, but I don't know if... Again, this is not to diminish Ben Wallace. I don't know if Ben Wallace can become that Ben Wallace without Rashid there. Is there anything to that? That was a great compliment with him. That was a great compliment with him. Um, Rashid could guard anyone, okay? And if you put him one-on-one with um, – if you, if you put him one-on-one guarding someone, he, he does a great job. But if by chance they beat him, Ben Wallace coming from the weak side – it's just incredible. And so the, I, I just thought that they complemented each other well. Ben was great before she got there. I, let's, let's not forget that. He sure. was, he, was, um, he was defensive player of the year. I mean, he was, he was a dominant defender. But I do think that he and Rasheed together, though, gives you a chance to win the title, which they did. And so th- there is something to, to those two playing just exceptionally well together. Uh, Cedric Maxwell, Tim Frank informs me, was the other uh, finals MVP who is not in the Hall of Fame. Um, different resume than, than Chauncey's. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a rarity. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer podcast to start listening if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. 
So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have to ask you, I made the crack when we were in Vegas, and I don't know if, if it actually registered when I said it. Um, there is a famous slash infamous photo of you that became a meme uh, on social media with the two phones. Yep. It's old school. One is the, the, the phone plugged into the wall, looks like in your office, maybe in Detroit. And then you've got the, the, the cool flip phone from the yes. early 2000s, the other hand. Yeah. What is the story behind that photo? I don't know if it's been told. It was, it was, it was uh, trade talk. So it was, I was on my office phone and I was talking about a trade. I can't remember. I was talking about a trade. And it was a multi-team trade. And one of the other teams called me on my cell phone, and I didn't want to miss that phone call. So I just I said to the person I'm talking to on the, on the office phone, just hold on one second. So I had it, and then I'm trying to talk on the other phone. So, yeah, on that flip phone. <laughs> yes, it was a flip phone. It was a flip phone. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you remember what the trade talk I was? I can't remember. I can't remember. You, you know, we, Howard, you sitting there, man, it's so many trades. I, I can't remember. I wish I could remember, like, the teams I was talking to. But it was definitely two different teams, and I, I just didn't want to miss that phone call from the team that was calling any on the flip phone. <laughs> any recollection of if that trade actually happened, came to fruition, or was this just uh, one of those many I days I want to where... say it probably did, because most of the time that we, 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 we ended up discussing, the, the trades that, that, that probably fell apart a lot is just a one-on-one trades, because you can't get there. And, but when it's multiple teams, you, you, you can work to make it work. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can figure out ways to make it work when it's multiple teams. Somebody else take a draft pick. Somebody else take a player. Like, you can get it done. So, multiple teams, you would think it's, it's harder, and it is, but you can, you can get deals done. So, it probably got done. See, today somebody would have just, like, texted you that yeah, or whatever, of something else. Of, so, yeah. of, of course. <laughs> why, like, why, why, yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to be on the phone. Matter of no. fact, I, I, matter of fact, the, the Rasheed trade in the middle of the season – the majority of that trade got done by text. Really? By text message, yeah. In the early days of text message, where message, you had to punch early, like yeah. the number three times to get to the yeah. right letter yeah. because it you was, couldn't just. Yeah, it, but I, I specifically remember uh, telling John Hammond, you know, John, we just did a trade where the majority of it was, was text. The, the actual, message. like the, the negotiations, the, the we're willing to send in this, you guys put in that, Absolutely. like the, the actual mechanics of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 
because I remember texting um, uh, Billy Knight down yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, Where Rashid spent like 24 hours. Yeah, I remember trying to um, texting Danny Ainge because he was a part of the trade. I, I just remember texting these different guys that we would do this or do that or whatever. And so, yeah, I, I remember, and I said to John Hammond after we finished, I said, John, we just did a trade where the majority of this trade was done on a text message for the first time. Springfield should have immediately summoned those phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They should have yeah, had yeah. like the transcript yeah. printed out. First NBA trade consummated by text. And they should the... have that flip phone sitting right next to it. Too, and, so. and the photo of you. Yeah. Why was that photo taken? That's the know. other question. Who I took that photo? I have no idea. How did it end up a meme on Twitter? <laughs> my, my, I, the only person that would probably know is, rest his soul is not here with us. Matt Dobrik Matt probably Dobrik, knows. Yeah. He probably knew what it was. <laughs> Maybe he snapped it. Yeah. I, I love the fact that it, it was there was an actual trade talk, not some posed thing. No, 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 no. It wasn't, it wasn't some posed. feature story. No, like no. this was a, no. This was a candid, true no. shot. This, that somebody's in the office, I'm on the phone, and they take a snapshot. It, those things don't see the light of day yeah. very often. So I, I assume you also see the humor in that yeah, photo. Yeah, of it's course. A, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was chatting with somebody who uh, who knows you well. I was asking, like, what else should I ask Joe about from the Pistons days? What's what's a good story? Said the most stressful game of your time, at least by this person's accounting, I assume this is correct, 2004, not in the finals, not even in the conference finals, game six at New Jersey, you're down three to two. Accurate that that was the most stressful game most of your career? Most stressful game ever. Why? We are, we've made the big trade. I've pushed all the chips in. I've traded away two first-round picks. I moved some people. It was a four-team trade. It was 17 players in the trade. We're getting Rasheed back. I remember talking to Bill Davidson, the owner of the Pistons at the time, and saying, look, I'm going to do this trade. He said, um, is this the one you think gets it over the hump? I said, I said, yep, absolutely. He said, let's do it. Let's go. So it was – this wasn't a trade where um, I hope we can get to the conference finals or I hope we can get to the finals. This was a trade we have to win it. We, ha we, we have to win it. Matter of fact, when we made the trade, I keep bringing up these guys who are not with us anymore, but when we made the trade, you would know, and I don't know if anyone else, Tim would know, but I remember Drew Sharp wrote an article, and the title was the article, basically was, if the Pistons don't win the championship, this season is an utter failure. This was in the wake of the trade? This was or, after the trade yeah, happened. Yeah. So, so and, and he and specifically wrote, even if they get to the finals, if they don't win it, this is a failure. So everybody there was feeling that. And, and we didn't run from it. We basically said, yep, that's the case. Yep, I agree. I remember talking to Drew and saying, yep, that's true. He said, you, you, I said, yeah, that's true. If we don't win it, that's an utter failure. And here you are now down three to three two. Three to two in the second round. And we, 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 we fly into Jersey and I forget the name of the arena. Was that Meadow? Uh, oh, that was Continental, Continental Airlines Arena. Yeah. yeah. And we're sitting there and we're down three to two. And I'm telling you. Um, we're down, and it's me, it's John Hammond, it's Scott Perry, it's Ryan Hoover, it's 
I don't know, maybe John Horst, who's with Milwaukee. Like all these, all of us, sweating bullets in that arena. Just, we have to win. And so it was the most stressful game I've ever been a part of. And we pulled it out at the end, and we go on to win the series. And I've told that story to Rod. I've told that story to Jason Kidd. I've told that to all those guys, man. <laughs> and they were like, well, we were stressed on the other end, too, because we knew if we didn't win that game, we weren't going back to Detroit and winning game seven. So. Yeah. Well, and that was the Nets team that had obviously been to two straight finals. Yeah. Lost to the Lakers, yep. lost to the Spurs. Yep. Yep. Um, that's, that's Jason Kidd and, yep. and Richard Jefferson and Kenya, Kenya Martin, Martin yeah. still on yeah. that team, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys win game six, 81 75, and then you blow them out in game seven, yep. 90 to 69. These scores, by the way, like yeah, yeah, looking yeah, yeah, back, yeah, I'm on basketball reference yeah. going, like, man, it's still, I mean, yeah. I, I lived through that era. I covered yeah. the era, but still, it's, yeah. it's still weird looking back looking and looking seeing. Looking at the scores, yes. It yeah, is. I think you guys didn't crack 70 in game one yeah. of that series, yeah, if I'm probably recalling didn't. correctly. Um, once you're over that hump, do you, are, are, are you confident then? Like, okay, we're, we're, we're good? Like, you still no. got another series? No. Yeah. The next series is stressful, too. We play the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers head coach is who I just let go in the offseason. So now we're playing Rick Carlisle, who was with us a year before. And you got LB, you got Larry Brown now as your coach. Yeah. So that was that dynamic, right? And so we can't lose this series. We can't. We can't lose this series. The reason you brought Larry in is because you say he gets us over the hump. So, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe six games. Maybe that was six games as well. But, yeah, I mean, you know, when, when you put it out there that, that you've pushed all your chips in and it's, it's not even about getting to the finals. It's, it's win it all or bust. When you do that, there's nowhere to turn. There, there, there's no way you can explain it away if it doesn't happen. You have to win. You have to win. And everybody felt that. The players, coaches, front office, the whole organization. No, we have to win. You know. This is this is why we asked that question and uh, you know, Dan Clores did it very famously in his uh, uh basketball love story series where the question was put to everybody uh, about relief versus joy. Yeah. This, oh, yeah. this sounds like the ultimate like relief championship as opposed to joy. I'm sure Absolutely. there was joy too, but it was a little bit of joy and a whole lot of relief. And but there's also a difference, and I've said this over the years to people, there's a difference in wanting to win a championship and having to win a championship. And a lot of teams and a lot of people want to win a championship, but how many like have to win it? Just from internal pressure, just from this is, this is the culture you've built. Like you have to, like you, there, there, there's no I just want to. There's 29 other teams who want to. Do you have to win it? And, th and that's what we sold. We sold that to everybody that came there. It's as important to you that you have to win a championship. Because if you just want to win a championship, you, you can find any team. Yeah. So, you know, we pushed that heavy. It's, it's funny you mention that because I do think that over the course of my 25 years now covering the league, like that's something you start to, to realize over time is that um, there are different levels. <laughs> it is not an imperative. For everybody, for yeah. every player, every coach, and every and we always understood that, you know, we we always understood that, you know. Yeah. Okay. There's one more what if I, I do need to, to throw at you, mm -hmm. and I know it's been written about and you've discussed it, but it's just such a fun story that I, I have to ask. 
the 2007 Kobe Bryant trade that never happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was um, myself and Mitch Kupchik, um, the current GM, Rob Palenka, was obviously involved because he was representing Kobe at the time, uh, and Bill Davidson, the Pistons owner, and uh, Jerry Butts. Those were the people that knew the deal. Um, we, Mitch Kupchik and I went back and forth about parameters. Uh, this is when Kobe was saying, I want out. You know, Lakers aren't trying to win, I want out. Uh, it was two teams that Mitch felt like had enough pieces to do a deal for Kobe. It was us in Chicago. Uh, Mitch called and said, look, love to work out something with you. Take us a couple of days to work it out. And then we agree on the deal. And then... Um, at the time, Kobe is the only player that had a no trade in his right. contract. And so um, the, the um, so Mitch says, look, as you know, Joe, Kobe has a no trade, so he has to approve of this, but uh, we're going to take this to him, and I'm going to take this to Dr. Buss. And he did. Dr. Buss said okay. They took it to Kobe, and he's – Mitch told me that Kobe said that I need 24 hours or 48 hours or something to discuss this with my family. Like, look, I need time to discuss it with my family. And I think Dr. Buss was like, no, we need an hour, uh, we need a, uh, an answer in the next day or whatever. And Kobe didn't want to be forced into having to make a decision that quick. And so this is what Mitch said to me. Mitch said, Joe, look, uh, Dr. Buss has given him like a day. And if he doesn't, Dr. Buss is pulling out, and he's done. And and Kobe refused to make a decision. He wasn't like, no, you know, you're not going to make me make a decision in one day. Uh, it was like I need a couple days to meet my family and think about this. And uh, and he didn't. Uh, he didn't make a decision in 24 hours. And Dr. Buss said, that's it. I'm I'm out. We tried to make a deal. You didn't make a decision. We're going to move forward. And the trade was done. And Mitch called me and said, Joe, uh, we're out. Dr. Buss is saying, no. He's told Kobe, if you're not going to make a decision right now, we're done trying to trade you and we're going to go forward. And we hang up. And I, 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 Rob Lincoln and I have laughed about this. Like, <laughs> Rob said, Joe, uh, I mean, it was, Howard, I bet it was 10, 12 years before anybody ever brought that up. Like, nobody ever said a word about like, yeah, That could never happen now. Right? No. <laughs> could never happen now. It would be tweeted 30 seconds yeah. later. And, and, like, zero. I'm talking about a decade goes by when finally someone, I don't even know who it was, mentioned. I was like, whoa, they know about this. And so Palinka and I have laughed about this before. Like, man, this was like code of silence, man. Not a word. I don't know how or when or whatever it got out, but. It, I'm telling you, a decade went by, Howard, no, and not a word. Did you think you had it? Like, did you think, yeah. all right, that's, Kobe, Kobe's going to sign off, we'll be good? Did you, like, did you, were you already, like, thinking ahead to, like, we've got this, and now it's going to on to the next thing? Like, we're, we're going to start planning for our new team around Kobe. I, I thought it was going to work. Uh, but, but here's the thing in any um, trade or transactions that you're doing, the longer it takes, the more chances it, it, it's not going to happen. So when it didn't happen right away, and time started going by, you know, over that 24-hour period or whatever, I, 
I realized, okay, this could, this could go off track. That but, er, but when we hung up, though, yeah. when we hung up, when, when you hang up and Mitch says, okay, we have to deal, I'm like, okay, we got a deal. And I call Davidson, he calls Dr. Buss and say, look, we have a deal. And the only thing is Kobe's got to approve it. You know, at that moment, you're going, okay, this could happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so You're not quite popping champagne yeah, you're yet. Yeah, you're not popping but, champagne. But, you know. But you're, you're feeling good. Yeah, and you, 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 you're silent about it. You're not talking with anyone else about this. You know, you, you, this is under wraps and no one else knows. And you're just waiting to see how it plays out. This would have been like spring, summer, right? Because his melt, his melt, Kobe's meltdown, it was a very public meltdown that year. He goes on radio. He talks to Stephen A. He talked to a bunch of people. He like he, Was that the summer of 2007? I think it was, it was in the midst of the playoffs because I remember – I can, I can remember being in a hotel room somewhere covering the playoffs for the New York Times. I was in maybe, I don't know, Houston or somewhere watching on TV because now I've got to write about this too. I'm out covering a playoff series somewhere and I remember just seeing this, this whole meltdown happening um, and Kobe's going after on one radio show after another after another. Yeah. Um, and like, that was obviously a massive, massive story yeah, yeah. at the time. So that was in the spring. That was probably, yeah. you know, second, third round of playoffs, yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, and so any talks you guys would have had would have probably been deeper that spring or maybe yeah. in, into the summer. Yeah. And then there were, there, was, there were reports that it was close with Chicago. Yeah. And, of course, the, the, you know, the flash forward on this for people who, again, need the, the, the reminder on this, it's whatever, six, seven, eight months later that they make the trade for Pau Gasol. Memphis, yeah. And next thing you know, the Lakers are back in the finals. Yep. yep, yep. Next thing you know, they're winning two championships after that. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, like all of history is different. And Kobe spends his entire career with the Lakers. Yep. But that close, as yep. I'm holding my fingers yeah. apart, yeah. To, to him being a piston. Absolutely. Yeah, it was that close. And, um, um, you know, there are a lot of teams that have these type of stories. The almost trades or the almost signing or the almost draft. Like, and, and, you know, for my tenure there, that was just obviously the biggest one. Yeah. The biggest almost, you know, that you could have, you know. Uh, uh, and actually agreeing on the deal with, 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 with Mitch, you know, to do this, you know. Incredible. I yeah. mean, there are a lot of great what ifs in this league, yeah. in the history of this league. Yeah. That one's an all timer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as you say, every team's got a, a guy that they yeah. thought they were going to get or almost yeah. had. But not at yeah. Kobe's level. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, those yeah. are those yeah. are extremely rare. rare. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and I I knew that at the time. I knew how rare it was. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, glad we had time to go yeah, down this absolutely. one last chant, uh, one last memory lane thread. There, appreciate yeah. that, Joe. Thank you for spending the time. Thanks, Thanks for having Howard. me here at the yeah. offices, Tim Frank. Thank yeah. you for the hospitality. Appreciate yeah. it. We got to do it again you. sometime. No, I appreciate it. Love it, man. I, I anytime, anytime, Howard. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Joe Dumars. Thanks to Tim Frank and Tim Cook at the NBA for helping facilitate. Thanks as always to our producer, Shelby Royston. And thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter, at Howard Beck. I'm
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.